Good morning, everybody. It's good to have you in the house of God today, and all of you joining us online. Thank you for being with us today, and it's uh, a privilege and honor to be here today. I'm glad I'm not in any hospital anywhere, and I'm sure there's some really good ones somewhere here in Phoenix. I just don't want to necessarily be there. I'd rather be here, amen? And uh, today I would like for you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 2, where we find the traditional Christmas story. And I made a comment to the discipleship class this morning. I'm not sure if you've ever kind of put the pieces together, but the only two books of the Gospels that have the Christmas story is the book of Luke and the book of Matthew. Now, how many of you remember what Matthew was before he was a disciple? He was a tax collector, wasn't he? And uh, does everybody know that Luke was a physician? If you read the Christmas stories, it's very interesting. Matthew is the one that brings up the point that Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem in order to be taxed. He had a tax background. Luke is the one that comes up with the background of the pregnancy and the birth of Jesus as a physician's background. Just a a point of one of those things that make you go, hmm, kind of interesting. How God makes no mistakes, even in who he has share the story of Christmas. And while you're turning there to Luke chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 7 first of all. But before we do, many years ago at a resort along the East Coast, uh, there was a small community and they were having... um, an open town meeting about some financial problems that they were facing. And among uh, the two dozen or so people that was at this meeting, there was one man that no one seemed to know who he was, and apparently he was just visiting that area and had just dropped in on that meeting. Um, so as they were discussing the, the problems they were facing, he started to make a comment once as these various projects were considered, but as he started to speak, he was interrupted. And so for the rest of the time, he just kept still, and then he left the meeting early. And just as he left, someone in the community was just arriving that came to the uh, meeting late. And as they came in, they were out of breath and and said breathlessly, what was he doing here? Is he going to help us? Well, the rest of them said, who are you talking about? The man that just left. And they said, well, who was he? And they said, you mean, he said, you mean you don't know? That was John D. Rockefeller. His yacht is in our harbor. Please tell me you got his help. And in despair, someone said, no, we didn't get his help. We didn't know who he was. Have you ever missed a golden opportunity? I think all of us. I have. All of us here can relate to missing opportunities that sometimes just come by once. We've missed an opportunity to make a positive difference in someone's life. We, make a, uh, we miss an opportunity to be a blessing to someone who's hurting, to witness to a lost friend, 
or we have missed an opportunity to get a certain job because we weren't prepared, or we miss an opportunity to minister to our spouse or to our children because we're too busy, or we miss an opportunity to make an eternal difference in a person's life because we didn't seize the opportunity. I remember this happened to me in one of my earlier pastorates where a man had been put in jail for some crime. Now, this was a smaller community in Steamboat Springs. But I felt I was supposed to go to that jail to minister to this man. And when I received the paper the next day, one of the front stories was this very man had killed himself in the jail that evening. I missed a golden opportunity to do what was being presented to me. And I'll never forget that. It made an impact on my life. Has an opportunity ever knocked on your door and you were so caught up in other things that it just slipped through your fingers? Today I'm convinced that it's happened to every one of us, but I pray today that we would be awake to every opportunity that God gives us. Now, I'm not saying you have to meet every need that comes your way, but I'm saying that let, may, this, may this season be a time where we take the opportunities God gives us. I'm titling this message today, Christmas Opportunities. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1 says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. And this census first took place while Quirinius was governor in Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Why is it that some people seem to take advantage of the opportunities that come their way while others allow those opportunities to slip away. And it's easy to say, well, those folks were just lucky. Can I just make a statement about luck? Luck has nothing to do with anything, ever. They were just more sensitive to the opportunity. There was a shoe salesman that went to Africa many years ago, and he was there two weeks. And after those two weeks, he wrote his company back home a letter, and this is what he said, please bring me home. No one here wears shoes. 
So they brought him home, and they sent another salesman into his place. And in a couple weeks, this salesman sent a letter back to the company, and his letter said, please send me all the shoes you can because nobody here wears shoes. Same problem, same opportunity, different result. Some of you might not realize it, but you have the power to bless other people and make someone's life better when, you're, when you leave them than when you got there. Every one of us have that authority. Every one of us have that power. Sometimes I think we are looking for the big ministry or waiting, just kind of waiting on God when God's waiting on us and giving us opportunities left and right. Can I just say something this Christmas? Don't wait for someone else to be the blessing. You be the blessing. Look at your neighbor and say, be a blessing. Would you do that? Be a blessing. Because we are surrounded. We are surrounded with people that have no hope that have no hope. Just be faithful in the little things. This church was built, if you look at it, it's a block building. It was built one brick at a time, one block at a time. And as one block was put on top of another block, all of a sudden, a building was made. But it was important brick by brick and block by block because people are touched the very same way, one at a time. It reminds me of the little story of, of the little boy who was on the beach and he was seeing all these starfish that had, uh, you know, washed up on the shore and he's, he's taking them and he's throwing them back into the ocean. And there's this older gentleman out on a, a, a bent, a chair, and he sees this boy doing this. And finally, the boy gets over closer to where he is and he's like, Son, what are you doing? Do you see all the starfish? He said, what does it matter? It won't matter that you're doing this. And he picked the little boy, picked up one of the starfish, and threw it into the ocean. And he said, it matters to that one. Then you pick up another one and throw it into the ocean, and it matters to that one. And as we continue to do this, we find that God has called us not just to be blessed. How many of you are blessed? but to be a blessing. Amen? So Matthew chapter 10 and verse 42, it, it gives us even a little uh, detail as to even small things. Notice what, this is the words of Jesus. Jesus loved kids. Kids loved Jesus. And notice what he says, and whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. And the Bible, it's full of people who missed golden opportunities. Let me share a few of them with you today. The people of Noah's day had an opportunity to come to the ark. They had many, many, many years of opportunities to come to the ark. But they were too busy with life. They had other things to do. They didn't have time to listen to the preacher. 
That's what the Bible calls Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Oh, yeah, he was a, he was a boat builder, but his primary ministry was a preacher of righteousness. So these people saw this vessel being built, but they chose to laugh at Noah instead of listen to Noah. But one day, everybody say one day, it started to rain. The door to that boat was closed by God's hand himself. And they weren't laughing anymore because God shut the door. And then all of a sudden, they had all this time. But how many of you know there is a time called too late? Last week, we listened to a message that I presented to you called the right time. At the right time, God sent his son into the world. But church, I want you to know that there is a time called too late. The people in Noah's day missed their golden opportunity. Number two, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah had a chance to repent. Now, that is a very powerful story. If you read that again in Genesis 19, God was going to destroy this city, but before he did, he revealed his plan to Abraham, so Abraham began to pray. Abraham became, he became very uh, troubled that, that this whole place was going to be wiped out. So he began to pray, and Abraham began to intercede for the city. And when, when Lot told his sons-in-laws to leave Sodom, and, Sodom, they thought he was joking. But Abraham, he just said, Lord, if there are 50 righteous, will you destroy it? He said, not if there's 50. And Abraham ultimately got down to 10. He said, Lord, if there are 10 righteous, will you destroy it? He said, not if there's even 10. Church, there wasn't enough. There wasn't even 10. You see, when you camp out like Lot did in Sodom, people aren't going to take you seriously. What are you saying, Pastor? you got to be different than the culture you're in. Amen? You see, somebody somewhere, in fact, I know this as a fact, that people, even those that may be making fun of you for your stand in God, are ultimately really, truly down deep wishing they could be like you. Stay the, stay the course. Keep the faith. Don't let what you see around you fake you out. The Bible says that if we... If we do not grow weary, and if we do not faint, we will receive the prize. You see, there is a race set before us in church. I'm telling you, a race is something sometimes, especially, this isn't a sprint. This is a long haul. This is a cross country. This is a lifetime of, of living. And how many of you have lived life enough to know life hits you hard? And it's not fair. It is not fair. Life is not fair. But I'm here to announce to you today that even in all of the unfairness, let God be your source. Because that's the reason why Jesus came. 
Never look to others. Never look to the ways of this world or the culture or anything outside of what God says. Because church, listen to me. Fads are going to come and fads are going to go. People are going to stand up for this thing and then 20 years down the road they're going to stand against it. But if we will hold our course and we will keep it according to the word of God, we will never fail. That's why it's called. That's why Jesus said that wide is the road that leads to destruction. And many there be on that road. But narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. There were two thieves on the cross the day Jesus died, and both of them had an opportunity. Now listen, both of them were doing the same thing at the beginning. They were cursing Jesus. They were, they were uh, laughing at Jesus. They were saying, hey, come down off the cross if you're the Son of God, or get us off this cross if you're truly the Son of God. But before the thing is done, and Jesus is only on the cross six hours before he dies, so this, this is making an impact on one of these thieves, and he sees how Jesus has taken it. He hears the things that Jesus is saying. He hears him say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Boy, I'm telling you, that that's counterculture. And this thief realized that this is no ordinary man that I'm dying beside. And he looked at Jesus, and he said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the other thief said, if you really are the Son of God, get us out of this mess. He didn't want to serve God. He just wanted out of his discomfort. But both men had the same opportunity. One blew it. And one, Jesus told him today, I'm going to tell you this, you're going to be with me in paradise. First man to make it into paradise after Jesus was that thief. The fourth one is what we call the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, we know this story well. It's about, really, if you think about it, it's a story of opportunity. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and while he goes on his way, he fell among thieves. And they stripped him of his clothing, the Bible says. They stole his money. They beat him up. And they left him for dead. Nothing much has changed, is it, in some of the big cities of America? It's, it's a picture of so many people today. Now, by chance, listen to this, a certain priest, a holy man, Jesus said, came down that very road, and when he saw this opportunity, he passes by on the other side. Now, why did he do that? Likewise, a Levite who's related to the priests, when he arrives at the place, he comes and he looks at the same opportunity, and he too passes by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, Jesus said as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he saw this opportunity, and he had compassion on him. Say compassion. Church, this is where ministry begins. You know, many people refer to him, even probably some of us, as the good Samaritan. Do you know the Bible never says that he was a good Samaritan? 
It literally says a certain Samaritan. We refer to him as the good Samaritan, but it just simply says a Samaritan, literally a certain Samaritan. Jesus was saying, this foreign person, that by the way you Jews look down on, actually acted better than your Levite tribe that is leading you and your priests that are teaching you. And it is amazing to me the things that we will begin to see when we're moved by compassion. The Bible says that this Samaritan ministered to him. Say this, ministered. That means served. He bandaged him up. He set him on his own animal. He took him to an inn, and he paid for it all out of his own pocket. And Jesus, he just simply says this after sharing this story. He just said, ask them a question, tell me. Who do you think was a neighbor to him? 2,000 years ago, God sent his only son into this world to become our Savior. It was such a wonderful event that heaven, listen to this, heaven itself could not remain silent. Look again. At verses 9 through 15 in Luke 2. It says this, and I'm reading out of the New King James. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, speaking of the shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. In other words, I'm bringing good news, and it's not just for you guys. It's for everybody. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly... Everybody say suddenly. There was with the angel, there was with that one angel, a multitude of the heavenly host or angel armies. Do you know angel armies had at least a thousand in them? The Bible says there was a multitude of them. There was probably 10,000 to 100,000 angels there that night, folks. Heaven got in on this action. And they were praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth, listen to this, peace. What to all men? Goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, I've shared with you before in past Christmases that the lowest people on the rung of the social society ladder are those guys right there, the shepherds. They smelled. They were with them sheep. I mean, those shepherds are the door to the corral. They're picking up these sheep. They're handling these sheep. 
They smell like the sheep. They've stepped in the sheep. And they had a choice that night. They received the message of the birth of the king, and they said, let's go see for ourselves. They responded to the opportunity. And you know what they found? They found Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. But you know what? Not everybody was so excited. Isn't it amazing today? We, we experience this very same thing. You can minister the word of God, but not everybody is going to receive what you have to say. In fact, Jesus even said this. He said, the sower sows the word. The sower went out to sow, and he mentions four different kinds of ground. One's the wayside. One's thorny ground. One's stony ground. And one's good ground. But there's, that is a, a description of four different kinds of people's heart. One that's on the wayside, the devil just comes in and takes the seed before they can even let it get inside their heart. Another one is the rocky soil, and they hear the word of God, they receive it with joy, but you know what? There's no great root there because there's no deep root of soil to put that seed into. So when trials come and tribulations come, they fall away. Then Jesus said there's a type of soil that is a thorny soil, and what happens there is the seed is in there. You know the word of God, but the cares of this world, the riches of this world, the things and problems of this world cause you to worry, and you believe the things you see and feel and experience more than what God said. But then Jesus said there's a fourth soil, and it is a good soil, and they receive the seed implanted. But then he said even within that soil, there are different percentages of what people get. Some produce 30%, some produce 60-fold, some produce 100-fold. I want to be the rich soil producing 100-fold. But I want you to think about that. Literally, I had another pastor friend of mine say this one time. He said, do you realize the sower sowing the word is the pastors? I'm like, yeah. He said, do you realize that the seed is the word of God? I said, yeah. He said, do you realize that that parable is showing us literally only 25% of the people we sow seed into are going to get it? I was like, whoa. How many of you feel like that? when you're sharing the Word of God with other people. And sometimes people say, what, what, is, what a difference am I making? Well, just like that starfish, it matters to that one. Amen. How did the world receive the Savior? Well, number one, how did the world receive, first of all, Mary and Joseph? There was a special decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed that we read, and everyone had to go to their own city, and Joseph's city was Bethlehem. So he had to go to Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, but Mary is in her ninth month of pregnancy. So she's ready to deliver this baby. But the Bible says that there was no room for them in the guest house or the inn which is a lot more like just a guest room in someone's home rather than the Comfort Inn or Holiday Inn that we think of here in America. 
Now, Joseph knows this baby is on its way. This baby is the son of God. So why was there no room for him in the inn? Don't you think the father, God the father, could have made it to where there was room in the inn? Why were they turned away? Let me just ask this question. Why are so many still turning him away? Too busy with life? Caught up with other things? Are you with me today? And church, listen to me. They don't have to be bad things. You can be caught up in things that aren't bad. But if the world would have only realized who this baby was, he's the son of God. This baby is the savior of the world. This baby came to redeem them. This baby came to offer them life, to reconcile them back to God. He came to be their light, their guide. He came to offer them eternal life. Look at this in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You know something? I think that many times even those of us who know him don't fully realize what he came to do and what he wants to do in our individual lives. How did Herod, how did the highest government official of Israel receive the Savior? Well, when he heard about the birth of Christ, he was troubled. And the Bible says, and all Jerusalem with him. What? Why? I refer to Herod as the original Grinch. The original Scrooge, so to speak. So he gathers his chief scribes and priests, and he inquires, where's the baby going to be born? And they told him what the Scripture said out of Micah chapter 5 and 2, and Herod secretly called the Magi and asked them what time the star appeared. And then he says this to them. He said, go to Bethlehem and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, Let me know so I can come and worship him. Liar. He had no desire to worship the baby. He looked at this baby, Jesus, as a threat. He wanted to kill him. He wanted to do away with him. And church, listen to me today. People are still like that today. Some want him gone. Don't mention that Jesus. We don't want Merry Christmas. We want happy holidays. Well, you can have your happy holidays, but I just want to let you know something. You can't have a holiday without Christ because that's what it's all about. That's why we say Merry Christmas. Hallelujah. You see, you don't have a holy day without the Holy One. Just thought I'd tell you that. Now I want to ask you a a little closer home question. How did his own people receive him? How did most of the Jewish nation receive him? Look at John 1, verses 10 through 12. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But it doesn't stop there, folks. Are you glad that it doesn't stop there? Here it is. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. Do you believe in his name today? So here's my question this Christmas. How can we who believe in his name, who are called by his name, a.k.a. Christians, take more advantages of the opportunities that he gives us? Because church, he's given us them every day. First of all, in order to do it, hear this, everybody. We have to realize who we are in Christ. You've been redeemed. You've been adopted into God's family. You've been given, the Bible says, the ministry of reconciliation, which is to reconcile things to God. How many of you think it's important to reconcile your checkbook to the bank account? That's pretty important, isn't it? In other words, everything's in order. What the bank says, your book says. What God says, he wants people to be in reconciliation with him on. We've the greatest news this world has ever known and will ever know. And Jesus is offering us and them eternal life. We have to believe in what we are selling, just like that shoe salesman in Africa did. You see, we have to be like that, that man who sees people who are without Christ, and whether they know it or not, they need what you have, just like those people needed those shoes. Secondly, after we realize who we are in Christ, we have to realize this. Look this way. That Christ, through us, can make a difference in someone else's life. We're the light, he said. I'm going to the Father. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you so that what I did down here, you can do down here. Invisible kingdom. You can do it. I've given you the keys. You're the light. You're the salt. We're here to shine. We're here to to make people thirsty. Salt makes you thirsty, but it also makes stuff better. Right? Yeah. And then after that, we thirdly have to realize it's our responsibility to reach out. Look at your neighbor and say, we're responsible. You know, church, it's been 2,000 years over that since the angel first announced the birth of Jesus. But I want to ask you this question, and it's a very serious question. Have you yourself actually heard that announcement lately? Well, you did this morning. But a follow-up is this. If so, who are you telling about his birth, his death, and his glorious resurrection? Do you know that Jesus gave that job to all of us, not just the preachers? Remember the priest? Remember the Levite? Remember the Samaritan? Samaritan did what those guys should have been doing. I'm going to close, and this is, some of you have heard this. 
But it is one of my most favorite Christmas stories that illustrate what I am talking about so well. It's a teacher who seized an opportunity. You know, I can remember certain teachers in my life that took a little extra time, and I remember them today. Some teachers I don't remember, but the ones I do, it's because they took extra time and seized opportunities. Teddy Stoddard certainly qualified as one of the least, kind of like the shepherds, bottom rung of the ladder. This little boy was disinterested in school. He, he wore musty, smelling, wrinkled clothes, and his hair was never combed. And one of those kids in school that had that deadpan face, expressionless, sort of a glassy, unfocused stare. And when Miss Thompson spoke to Teddy, he always just answered her in monosyllables, unattractive, unmotivated, and distant. He's... He was just one of those little guys, he was just hard to like. Even though his teacher said she loved all of the students in her class the same, down inside she wasn't really being completely honest. Whenever she marked Teddy's papers, she kind of got a certain perverse pleasure out of putting X's next to the wrong answers. And when she put the F's at the top of the papers, she always did it with a, a flare. She should have known better. She had Teddy's records, and she knew more about him than she wanted to admit. The records read, first grade, Teddy shows promise with his work and attitude, but poor home situation. Second grade, Teddy could do better. Mother is seriously ill. He receives little help at home. Third grade read, Teddy is a good boy, but way too serious. He is a very slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade. Teddy is very slow, but well-behaved. His father shows no interest. Well, Christmas came, and the boys and girls in Miss Thompson's class brought her Christmas presents. They piled their presents on her desk and crowded around to watch her open them. And among the presents was one from Teddy Stallard. She was surprised that he had brought her a gift, but he had. Teddy's gift was wrapped in brown paper and was held together with scotch tape. And on the paper were written the very simple words for Miss Thompson from Teddy. And when she opened Teddy's present, out fell a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half the stones missing and a bottle of cheap perfume mostly used. The other boys and girls, of course, as little grade school kids do, began to giggle and smirk over Teddy's gift, but Miss Thompson at least had enough sense to silence them by immediately putting on the bracelet and putting some of the perfume on her neck and wrist. At the end of the day, when school was over and the other children had left, Teddy lingered behind. He came over to her desk, and he said softly, Miss Thompson, 
you smell just like my mother. And her bracelet looks really pretty on you too. When Teddy left, Miss Thompson got down on her knees and asked God to forgive her. The next day when the children came to school, they were welcomed by a new teacher. Miss Thompson was still their teacher, but she had become a different person. She was no longer just a teacher. She had become an agent of God. She was now a person committed to loving her children and doing things for them that would live on after they left her class. She helped all the children, but especially the slow ones and especially Teddy Stallard. When school let out that year, Teddy showed dramatic improvement. He'd actually caught up with most of the class and was even ahead of some of the other students. She didn't hear from Teddy for a long time, but then one day she received a note that read, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know. I will be graduating high school as salutatorian. Second in my class, love, Teddy Stallard. Four years later, another note came, Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I will be graduating as valedictorian. First in my class, I wanted you to be the first to know. The university has not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Teddy Stallard. And four years later, Dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stallard, M.D., How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know, also, I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact. I want you to come, if you will, and sit where my mother would sit if she were still alive. You're the only family I have now. Dad died last year. Love, Teddy Stallard. Well, Miss Thompson went to that wedding and sat where Teddy's mother would have sat. See what's my favorite? This Christmas, please don't let opportunities pass you by. In the shadows of these steeples, that line this central avenue and along the street possibly where you live. People are dying without Christ. I challenge you to take the opportunity to make a difference where you can. And the last point, is very short. William Booth, the one who started the Salvation Army, which was a lot more than ringing bells and receiving coins on Christmas in front of stores and just helping people. The people that he had in his army were people concerned for souls. And he would tell every one of his people, he said, if I could, I would have you look. If hell could be opened, 
Your last assignment would be to look into hell and see what they go through. When people die without Jesus, and for that to be indelibly imprinted in your mind, for that to put shoes to your feet to share the love of Jesus with everyone you meet. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, today as we enter into this very last week before Christmas next Sunday, may we be aware of the opportunities you're giving us, hand-delivering. May we be not only mindful of them, but Lord, may we do what you tell us to do with them. Every situation, every person, some of us already have some of those opportunities in our laps. Lord, may we not be like that little tiny coastal town in the east that missed its opportunity. May we not be like the people in the Word of God that missed their opportunity. But may we be like Miss Thompson and take the opportunity given to us to make a difference. May we be like this certain Samaritan that took the opportunity and made a difference. May we be like you, Lord, and make a difference to give people the very best Christmas gift they could ever receive, and that is you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you go your way this week looking for opportunities and let God use you? If you would, just say a big amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday, 10 a.m., no discipleship. We're going to have a great candlelight service. We'll see you then. Merry Christmas to you all.